is brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit that gives hope and help to those lost in addiction. Rich and Susan are a husband and wife team who found grace and freedom from 20 years of addiction to drugs and alcohol. They broke free from their bondage 15 years ago and are here to share their experience of God's power in recovery. God can change lives. Now, here's Rich and Susan with Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. Susan, last time we talked about God's grace and sharing the good news about God. What are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to continue to talk about God's grace, and we're also going to be doing um, a bit of a review from the things that we've talked about for the past Mm -hmm. few months. Yeah, today we'll talk about witnessing, and in that context, I think we should do some review. Sure. Uh, Would you begin today's program with a word of prayer? Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this great opportunity that we have to to share about who you are and and what you desire for the lives of each individual listening. And uh, we're so grateful that um, you never forsake us or leave us, that you're always there to carry us through to the expected end, and that end is to spend eternity with you. And so we just pray that you will enlighten our minds and help us to Uh, Focus on on the big picture that you have for us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You ever have the feeling that you're not important, that your story or your description of what God has done for you just isn't worth telling because you're such a small piece of the puzzle? After all, God really doesn't need me, does he? You know, and as I read the Bible, you could read it two ways. You could read the Bible and Read it in regards to looking at David's and Samson's and Enoch's. Or you could read the Bible in the fashion of reading of what has God been doing in all these people's lives. What did he do for David after David had made a total wreck of his life? What did he do for Solomon after Solomon had made a total wreck of his life? Mm-hmm. And it's in that context that I think, okay, maybe my life is not that important. Maybe I'm just a small piece of the puzzle, but wait a minute. Maybe not. Are the angels talking about what God has done, how he swept up the broken glass of my life and put it all together? Am I just as important as David was? Mm -hmm. Just because David's in the Bible, does it mean that he was more important to God than I or you or Susan or anybody else? I don't think so. God is not a respecter of persons. He loves everybody unconditionally equal, so we're all as important. So when he comes into our life and sweeps up that broken glass and glues our lives back together after we've totally messed them up, he comes in and does that for us, I feel a little more of a sense that I am important to him. And then, of course, there's the cross and what he's willing to do to go through just so that that life can be cleaned up, you know? Let me tell you a story. There are times when uh, when the company that I work for makes some very large concrete pours. That's what I do here in the valley. We uh, we pour concrete around here, and uh, lots of it a lot of times, and I like doing it. And 
sometimes in an effort not to conflict with huge cranes or workers or, you know, there's a lot going on, we'd have to make uh, some night pours or some pours early in the morning. I remember one one pour in particular that we showed up at 2 in the morning to start a pour. Now, I was the first one on the job and was there to get the pump set up. And uh, that's quite a thing in the middle of the dark. And so when I pulled up on the job and I shut my headlights off, I could barely see my hand in front of my face. It was one of those nights where it was really dark. And um, I don't know what the deal was, but I was stumbling and tripping over things. And uh, the generator with the light rack on it I needed to get to to light the job up was about 200 yards away, and I couldn't get my headlights to shine on it. So not only that, but, you know, you're walking across the job with rebar and big holes. Uh, it's not too safe to You need to see where you're walking. you got to see where you're walking or you're going to become a statistic out there. They're going to find you later on. What, what happened to this guy? So anyway, I needed to get my flashlight out of the toolbox so that I could uh, go across the job and not get hurt. Headlights were no help. It was pitch black behind my truck, and, and even the cargo light was no help because the once I lifted my toolbox door up all the cargo light did was blind me so I groped around a little bit and I couldn't find uh, I could not find the flashlight so I thought it'd be a good idea to get my cell phone and open it up and use that little light that it gave out see if I couldn't find the flashlight this worked just fine I found a flashlight was able to cross the job without getting hurt in the middle of the dark of the night I made my way to the generator fired it up raised the light rack and illuminated that portion of the job. Then I was able to get the other four generators and light in the light racks, and the next thing you know, the entire job was lit up like daytime. But here's the lesson. What we are learning about God and about recovery and are sharing to others is light. That light is hope, that light is faith, and that light is love. We are told to let our light shine and even though it may seem to us that the light which we have to share is not much, it may not be important, this is not a, not, that's not the case. The cell phone and the flashlight played parts just as important to me as the big lights in illuminating that job. And just as it was my job to get the work area lit up that morning, it's our job to let God's light shine through us and illuminate His work area. The world is God's work area, and he needs us to tell people what he's done for us. That is light. That illuminates. And that's what God wants. That's right. There's so many people out there that do not understand God's love. Many, many hurting people that need to come to know God better. This is where our individual testimonies come in. No one on this planet can refute someone else's testimony. No one can argue or deny what God has done for you. And what better way to give someone hope? You got to share your faith and show the love of God than to tell them. It's better to show than to tell them. That's right. And God is able. God is able. If you think that your testimony is not important, if you think that it won't do anybody any good to tell about what God has done for you, you know what that is? That's a lie. That's a lie of the devil. The devil says, this person doesn't want to hear that, or that person doesn't want to hear it right now. Don't tell them what God's done for you. It's not important. You're just a small piece of the puzzle. 
And you know what happened? That's that's a lie. And well, and and one of the one of the biggest things that young people will lie to themselves and say, "Well, I don't have a testimony. I'm not a former drug addict. I'm not this. I'm not that." And and they have the greatest testimony a, that ever was. That's exactly right. What's the Bible about? Who's the Bible about? Right. It's not about the drunkards and and the the carousers. It's about Jesus, and, and he, he never did any of that. Yeah, stuff. his testimony was that he did the will of God. Right. And testimonies like that also encouraged people like us. That helped Susan and I tremendously to see that someone could, um, could follow God's will. Right. Because we, we just thought that everybody was like us. We We thought everybody was messed up. Right. We didn't know that. And of course everybody is messed (laughs) up, but if you have a life that you're connected to God, um, the sin in this world doesn't have the effect on you. Like, um, like a, it usually does. Yeah, so if you don't think that uh, your testimony won't do anybody any good, folks, that is a lie. Now let's review what we talked about in an earlier program about lies, What about the ones that we tell about Yeah, ourselves. because we wanted to review this because <clears throat> in addiction, what we what we talked about in a couple of, a few programs ago is probably the most important things that we've talked about throughout this whole thing. And, and it's lies... Our, I mean, what we do to ourselves by lying to ourselves is incredible. See, the communication network within our mind is really complex. Messages get transmitted in visual sensa- uh, physical sensations, visual images, and, and by thought patterns. <clears throat> and, you know, when you think, I don't know, when I think of Susan as happy, I get a picture of her being happy in my mind, you know, the visual image. And, and we think of, I mean, it's incredible what the mind can do. But we want to address the thought patterns um, when we're talking about lies, because those are patterns that we fall into and we continue to do them and don't realize that we're doing them. And that's when they become really dangerous. See, scientists have discovered that what we think actually changes the chemical composition of our brain cells and the rest of our central nervous system. It actually changes what you're thinking changes your brain cells. In other words, if we're continually thinking angry thoughts, we are teaching our brain to become an angry brain. If we choose to dwell on violence, our brain will become a violent thinking brain and we will act violent. This is why what we tell ourselves is so important. If we tell ourselves lies, we will believe lies. When we tell ourselves that we're worthless or that we hate ourselves or that we don't need any help, we are lying to ourselves. When we lie to ourselves that God can't work in my life, that I can't overcome my addictions, that God won't help me gain control of my life, that is a lie. That's right. We tell ourselves all kinds of things. And, you know, and sometimes you might even do it uh, not even... Well, it it can be very... Almost jokingly, uh, you can flippantly. Or or you could be unaware of it. You know, when, as a woman, if you watch TV, the television tells you that you're supposed to be tall, thin, and beautiful all the time. And and so it's a subliminal message as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you got to watch out for that setup. Honey, do I look fat? Well, there's no right answer to that question. But (laughs) there are are lies out there There, no matter where we go. That's right. The other dangerous thing is all-inclusive statements because those do more harm, even though sometimes uh, you you just say it to yourself just to say it, like, I'll, I'll never amount to anything or I'm a failure at everything I do. Those are categorical uh, statements. They're very dangerous because they influence the way we think about ourselves, even though 
we they just fly out of our mouth sometimes, or even though they just repeat in our mind. These are lies because we're not failures at everything that we do, and and we all will amount to something. You know, we have to be very careful. See, there's so why do we lie to ourselves? There's two main reasons, and if we can recognize these reasons, and sometimes they're hard to uh, to grasp because you have to be really honest with yourself of why you would lie to yourself. See, the first reason of why we would lie to ourselves, it's sort of a defense mechanism. In other words, we lower our own expectations of ourselves. This gives us an excuse not to try and allows failure to become acceptable to us. What's the second reason? The second reason and the one of the biggest lies that an addict will tell himself is that he's not an addict. If he says he's not an addict, then he feels that there's no reason to ask for help. That's right. See, and then the next lie, I don't need any help, naturally follows. And you can't help someone that believes he doesn't need help because they won't let you help them. That's the defense mechanism. As long as he's not an addict, he doesn't need help. And as long as he doesn't need help, you can't help him. Right. So we're not we're not looking at ourselves in the true light. That's right. And see, this is where we can tie God's hands. By not allowing him to help us. Right. By saying, I'm a failure at everything I do, that I'm worthless, that I'm not worth helping. We actually tie God's hands because he cannot help someone that will not allow them to help him. Right. As, as we talked about earlier, we need to remember that if we tell ourselves lies, we'll believe lies. And that's how we turn our brains into lying brains. You know, that's kind of a scary thought, that we actually can turn our brains into lying brains. Right. Ann Landers said, the naked truth is always better than the best dressed lie. You know, and that's an interesting quote, because isn't that true that we got to dress lies up, Mm -hmm. don't we? And then we have to lie to cover our tracks because of that. Lying is complicated. It's hard. It's, it's, uh... It takes a lot of effort to it lie. Does. Did you ever lie before? I, I was a professional liar. She was a, tr- a professional trained liar. professional liar. Towards the end, why did you lie? I just lied because that's that's how that's just who lied. I was. I that's, just lied about everything. Even when you didn't have to lie. Even when I didn't have to lie, I lied. Why? Because I thought that if I could th- make someone think something different of you. Correct. Then, then it, it would be okay. So you, you you could change your image by your lies. Right. I could change who I was by lying. I could change my inside by by trying to convince someone that I was something. So else. you would read someone and say, "This I need this person to think this of me. Therefore, I will lie." About well, this. I knew how bad I was inside. I knew how sick I was. And so I had to try to do it. I'm sure I know it didn't work, but I I convinced myself that if I projected a certain air about me, if I said certain things that that promoted this sure. lie, then th- then people would believe me. Sure, I believed my own lies. You believed your own lies. Well, I you know we become very sincere about what because what did we say? If we tell ourselves lies, we will believe lies. That's right. We believe what we tell ourselves. And you know what? That's why we called this program Freedom to Choose. Because um, the truth allows for choices, right? That's right. And did we know, do you know that an addiction, in a sense, can actually take away our power of choice? So we got a program called Freedom to Choose. But the truth is that addiction can take away that freedom. So it's kind of you have a catch-22. 
Okay, so you're telling me that you're free to choose. However, you're telling me that if you're addicted, you don't have any freedom to choose. Okay. See, what happens and what makes it a catch-22 is the substance or the behavior that we're addicted to forces its de demands upon us and causes us to be a slave to whatever we have given ourselves over to. It overrules, in a sense, our power of choice. Um, many times we will tell ourselves that we want to be free to use a certain substance or engage in a certain behavior, but our freedom is lost when that certain substance or behavior tells us when and tells us where we will engage in it. You know, I could not wait when I got out of school to be old enough to go into the bar, to be old enough to go buy those cigarettes, to be quote-unquote free to smoke, free to drink, free to do whatever I wanted to do. But what happens? That behavior began to tell me when and where to engage in it, and I lost my freedom because I gave myself over to those substances. And those substances, remember, as we talked before, we have substance and we have behavioral. And so those substances uh, that I became, that I'd given myself over to, began to rule my life and my behavior. Susan, do you know at what point you became an addict? Um, I, I don't. I can't pinpoint um, when it was. It, um, you know, I, I started out when I was 10 years old, smoking and drinking and then smoking pot and then on to cocaine and all that other crazy stuff. And, and you know, I don't know when I lost control, when I lost my power of choice. Yeah, and, you know, you wonder... A, a person's motives for doing those things uh, could quite well, it could begin at a very early, that you lose your power of choice very early on in life if your motives are to cover everything up, if right. you don't like who you because are. Because I, I, you know, the, the cover-up, I needed something more to cover up because it kind of, it, it, you know, I built a tolerance, I think, up to something where I wanted to, to feel, well, you, feel something different. Or, sure, and if you can't stand who you are, but if, if the substance that you're uh, engaging in makes you somebody different, well, that's just what the doctor ordered. Well, then you're addicted because because that begins to rule your life. Right. Right. Quite possibly, even as Christians, some of the choices that we are making in our lives right now can be actions controlled by our addictions. If so, we must tell the truth and admit that we're not in control of our lives. Something else is. You know, this is what it means to be powerless. Um, we kind of wondered when we began this uh, series on the on the radio, um, what audience are we talking talking to? Who are we trying to reach? Are we trying to reach a parent who might have a child that's struggling? Are we trying to reach a church member who's struggling with a behavioral addiction or a substance addiction? That's and do they are they aware of it? How do you come to the point where you say, you know what, I've got a problem. I've got a problem in that area. Well, what does it mean to be powerless? See, powerless people don't have any choice but to let their addiction or other people make their choices for them. And uh, when we're no longer running our lives, it means that something else is, and that something else is making our decisions for us. See, and I like to use this example uh, because it's simple and effective, but you know, when I smoked, um, what? who made the choice to go up 
to get the cigarette, to buy the cigarette, me or the little cigarette. See, that cigarette told me to go buy it. It told me to go pick it up and buy it because I had given myself over to that. See, our, our addiction becomes stronger than we are, and, and, and our addiction forces its demands on us. No matter what they are, if they're things in our lives that control us, in order to get help, we must admit that we are powerless over them. In other words, we must admit, and I don't know whether you're, like I say, uh, someone that is addicted to drugs or if you might be uh, just simply struggling with anger or whatever. But it, when that controls you, you have to admit that you're powerless over it. Susan, what's an addiction? An addiction is a habit that controls us. We don't control That's it. Simply put, yep. And they're divided into two classes, substance addictions and behavioral addictions. There are many types of different different types of substances that can we can become addicted to. These substances range from illegal drugs such as methamphetamine, cocaine, to alcohol, cigarettes, and prescription narcotics. Even things like chocolate and some types of soda pop can be addictive. What about sugar? What? What about sugar? I wanted to read something that we use sometimes in our presentations. This is from Breaking the Food Seduction by Dr. Neil Barnard. And what he says is sugar triggers the release of natural opiates in the brain. It also has a marked appetite driving effect. Once it touches your lips, sugar's opiate effects break through the dam, holding back your appetite, and an army of dietitians couldn't save you from the binge. The opiates are busily resetting all your internal priorities. Wow. Sugar is powerful. That's isn't right. It? So after a big feast, you're full. They bring by the pie. You say, no, 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 I can't. And then you say, okay, just a sliver. And then what happens? What happens? You could eat the whole pie. With ice cream. That's right. You know, <laughs> uh, they even, ABC uh, even did a study and uh, um, reported a study on sugar addiction that, that rats, when they took the sugar away, their teeth chattered, a uh, sign of withdrawal. So even rats got hooked on sugar. Uh, what about behavioral addictions? We have anger, we have gossiping, we have a critical spirit, we have jealousy, we have sexual addictions, gambling, internet, texting, shopping. I mean, it just it goes, goes on, on and, and on. on and on. But see, to change those habits, to ch you have to, to to change the reaction in the, in the brain. You have to make new choices, and that the old way was to try to muster up enough ego motivation to change the brain but that doesn't work we have to give ourselves over to something or someone else right in philippians 2 5 it says let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus in second corinthians 5 17 the bible says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new what does that mean, that old things have passed away and that all things have become new? Okay, when we were in our addictions, and especially Susan and I, we remember that we dealt with events in our life that came along, good or bad, by doing one or two things, running and self-medication. In actuality, running is self-medication, and self-medication is running. In other words, it's a way of running from your problems without geographically running from them. Many, it's it's how someone and I'm a tra I'm a professional runner I, I I was I ran from all my problems and so now the person has to learn how to turn to something else other than the self medication right whatever that is so instead of running away from God and away from all of our problems we now head in, head in a different direction and we look to God 
to allow him to help us to deal with our problems, free from our addictions. This is how all things become new. In 2 Timothy 3.1, the Bible says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. What did the Bible mean by perilous times? 2 Timothy 3.4, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These are perilous, perilous times, folks. There are so many temptations out there. There are so many ways to become addicted to certain behaviors, certain substances. And and the temptations are out there. And when the Bible described perilous times, it did not talk about the earthquakes and the tornadoes and the, and the hurricanes. It talked about lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So as we close, we want to just uh, settle in here and uh, wrap this series up about asking yourself, are you lovers of God? Do you love God? If so, are you willing to tell other people how much you love God and what God's done for you? And if, if not and you need help, you just ask God. That's right. Remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle, and the other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my neighbor? Freedom to choose. There truly is hope for anyone whose life is in captivity and being overrun with the devastation of addiction. Rich and Susan are living testimonials and have created a seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Book for someone you know, or if you're a member of a church and you'd like to create a ministry in the area of addiction, Rich and Susan can help you get started. Please call Rich and Susan at 916 916- 645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com as a nonprofit. They are blessed by people like you. 916-645-1297 or www.justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.